Yeah, hang on. Let me do the countdown. Log Talk Radio. There you go. <laughs> this is all about wine. The talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically, what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's there he is, and we are live. And there he is, and we are live. Oh, Ron. Hello, Ron. Wow. Did he take him out? Can you hear me? There he is. Now I can, yes. Oh, geez. What is the word here? <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Oh, that was... I thought we lost you again. Yeah, me uh, too. Me too. I'm starting to <laughs> do this little, you know, butterfly filling in the stomach. Right before a big, you know, you start you know, yes. thinking, filling the same thing. Yeah. So. Okay. Whatever. Right now, do not move. Yeah, whatever whatever you're doing, don't don't, don't touch anything. It. Yeah, don't touch right. anything. You know, because if I touch something, yep. it might throw the whole system mm-hmm. off. So you know, oh, we'll right. do it. But welcome yep. to All About Wine. This uh, beautiful May 18th day. I had to look at it. I've been writing 18 all day long on different things. I still had to check it. Um, we have a guest tonight. In fact, I think he's sitting in the green room right now, uh, enjoying all of our amenities that we offer in the green room. Um, And uh, if he doesn't have his mouthful or drinking or something, we'll bring him onto the show uh, and uh, uh, talk with him. Hello, Eric. Welcome to All About Wine. Well, thanks, Ron. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's our pleasure. Believe me. Um, Eric Hemmer, Heimer, Hemer? It's Hemer, yeah, long E. Hemer. Okay, uh, Eric Hemer uh, works for Southern Glaciers, and he's uh, all sorts of stuff down there. I'll, I'm going to let him uh, <laughs> fill all that stuff in. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you are you have been involved with wine for a long time. Uh, well, basically, tell us, how did you get here, tell us your story up to this point and and what you've been doing your life and and all that good stuff. How many hours do you have, Ron? Uh, we we can stretch it on. <laughs> <laughs> well, in a nutshell, I've been in the wine business. Uh, uh, if you include the restaurant business, the hospitality uh, business, I've been in the business since 1978 when I sold wow. my first bottle of wine in a restaurant. So. That's a long time for, for, I don't know, 40, 47 years, something like that. Uh, yeah. But I really got into the uh, into the wine trade when I went to work for Southern Wine and Spirits in 1988, uh, of course, now known as Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits, as you mentioned, when we merged with Glazers of Texas in uh, 2016. So I've held various roles. I was in sales and sales management uh, for many, many years, and about 20 years ago, uh, as the owners of Southern were putting on, uh, expanding, we, when I started, we were in three states, and we're in uh, 45 markets across the United States and Canada, and some Caribbean uh, presence as well. Uh, but when I started, you know, we're a fairly small organization. We are in uh, Florida, Nevada, and California at the time. Uh, but when we really started to expand, uh, the Chaplin family, the principal owners of Southern, decided they should have 
dedicated educational positions, and I was tagged for that for Florida, uh, where I've always been based in Miami uh, with Southern. And I did that for about 10 years. And uh, in 2013, I took on that same role, but nationally. Uh, so I'm now senior vice president in charge of wine education for Southern uh, corporately. And wow. along the way, I picked up some certifications. Uh, I, I'm a certified uh, wine educator with the Society of Wine Educators. Uh, in 2003, I became a master sommelier with the Court of Master Sommeliers. And in 2013, uh, for me, the crowning achievement was Master of Wine. I was um, uh, inducted into the Institute of Masters of Wine in 2013. So oh, I think I'm good. about done with certifications. I don't think I <laughs> have a stomach don't for anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, since you mentioned those those uh, three, the educator and uh, you know master, can you tell us a little bit about what it requires to take those and get those certifications? Sure. Well, let's focus on uh, the the top two. Not that there's anything uh, not uh, worthy about Society of Wine Educators and certified. Uh, wine educator, but we've got quite a few of those. Uh, Master sommelier and Master of Wine were multi-year pursuits, and they're very different. The Court of Master Sommeliers, as I think many people know, uh, it's really focused on on-premise, restaurants, hotels, and it's not just about wine. It's about spirits and other related beverages, and it, uh, it uh, entails not just theoretical knowledge, but the ability to identify wines blind in a very fast uh, rapid manner, and also service, you know, the service of wine, the hospitality uh, of wine, and all the things that go along with that, you know, very, very important uh, in the Court of Master Sommeliers. And there's several levels that you have to pass before you get to sit for the master level, uh, but it, it's comprised of three parts, and they're all verbal. Uh, so <clears> you go into a, a room, and you are, you have, well, it's held over a period of days, and uh, you have... Uh, just a, a short period of time, 25 minutes, to identify six wines blind, uh, down to grape variety, region of origin, and vintage as closely as possible. Wow. Uh, then the theory exam consists of multiple questions, uh, typically around 70 questions, and the examiners just ask you questions, and they can range throughout the world of wine and spirits and related beverage uh, and service. And a lot of it is very, very minute, uh, you know, trivial detail. Uh, that has to be memorized, but there's a lot of it. And it's, you know, it, when you're being peppered with questions verbally, <laughs> it gets a bit nerve wracking. So, uh, you know, a lot, you have to really go in there prepared for this. And then the, uh, the, uh, the third part is the service exam, perhaps the most important exam for a, 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 an aspiring master sommelier, because that's what the court's all about is, you know, the top level service in the hospitality restaurant industry, uh, and it's challenging. You have to perform various tasks and answer questions while you're doing it, such as decanting red wine and uh, opening and serving champagne and the business of the sommelier, doing math in your head. It always helps to be good at that, you know, so you can figure pouring costs and all that sort of thing table side. So it's a lot of quick thinking on your feet. So that's the, that's the Court of Master Sommeliers program. Very, very different is the Institute of Masters of Wine, Coincidentally, both of, these both of these programs were London-based originally, and they've really become international programs. Oh. Uh, but the Institute of Masters of Wine is all about wine, and it's about wine from the ground up. It covers, and it's all written theory, so it's, uh, or it's all written exams, the theory, the tasting, and then there's a, a research paper that has to be submitted at the end. So it's, it's kind of like getting a Ph.D. in wine. It's uh, a very, like very it, deep huh? level of knowledge. Yeah, it's, it's a very challenging program. Uh, so I was very fortunate and happy when I completed <laughs> the third and final leg of my Venice Triple Crown, if you will. Yes. Was uh, uh, There are limited numbers of Masters of Wine, too, aren't there? I mean, it's not like there's hundreds and hundreds. There there are 400, just over 400 worldwide. Uh, the Court yeah. of Masters Sommeliers is just about 235 worldwide. Uh, and then the, there's only three of us that have both titles. Oh wow! Well, wow, well, that's it's pretty pretty rare circle. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's 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 great. Uh, but I I want to point out too that uh, uh, for listeners out there, Southern Glaciers is a distribution and education place. They um, 
d- distribute all sorts of spirits, so it's not just wine. They uh, come under, yeah. so um, that's right. You know, just let, let people know that. Um, we were going to talk. One of the first things, and, and I'm glad we finally got John because we've been bouncing back and forth for like three months now. It seems like trying to get a a time that's good for both of us to get you on here. So I'm glad right. you finally made it. Uh, one of the things that we first started to talk about was the uh, no alcohol and low alcohol wines and the big upward trend of that right now. And you were suggested mm-hmm. by the young ladies that I corresponded with that you are knowledgeable in this area. And I, I was, I brought it up on a show a couple months ago about this no-low trend that is happening now. Mm-hmm. And I just want your input and tell us about it and why and, and what's going on with this. Uh, it it okay. seems sure. seems odd to me. I mean, uh, uh, I don't know. It's just yeah. personally, it's hard <laughs> no, for me I, to I, I, <laughs> I, I get it. Well, we're probably a little bit, older no offense ron but you and i've probably been around the block a few times yeah for sure. this is really this is this is a trend that i think is being driven by younger consumers uh and it, it is definitely growing uh, I, I think there's a couple of reasons behind it and one of the primary drivers is sort of the better for me movements you know a lot of people are concerned about what they eat and drink and concerned about their health and you know we know that overconsumption of alcohol is is dangerous to your health. And so I think that's sort of the driving factor behind low and no alcohol wines. Uh, and it's it's just sort of part of that overall trend of eating more healthy products, you know, trying to cut out things that are bad for us. But, of course, you know, a lot of people really enjoy wine, and they don't want to give it up completely. So that's sort of given rise to this whole category. Now, I'll point out that no alcohol wines have been around for a while. Two of the leading brands 30 years ago are still two of the leading brands today, and those are uh, Free by Sutter Home, which you probably have heard of, and Ariel, which is another one. And so they've, they've been around for a while. And I think the, the trouble is or was with them that they just didn't really taste like wine. And that's been sort of the, the uh, motivation behind, you know, some of these newer brands is to try to create no and low alcohol wines that are satisfying to people that are used to drinking a glass of wine. As you know, when you remove some or all of the alcohol from wine, you're removing a lot of the body and texture. It's not necessarily just the, the intoxicating effect of alcohol that people like it for. It also gives body and texture <laughs> and, uh, to the wine. <laughs> even, even though, you know, let's be honest, you know, a lot of a lot of the, you know, the, the primary motivation is, you know, we, we enjoy the social aspects of drinking alcoholic beverages in, in moderate uh, quantities with our friends. So that's kind of what's driving it. And I can tell you, just still looking at no alcohol wines, right now uh, global value is about U.S. $2 billion. My uh, gosh. And that is trending up. It's trending up, and it's, uh, it's estimated more than double. Uh, in 10 years by 2033 to about $5.2 billion. So Jeez. it's definitely definitely going to grow. It's continuing to grow, and I think you'll see more and more players uh, entering the market. Um, I think you'll see a lot of the big brands, and you already are starting to see some of this, some of the big producers out there, the international um, companies entering this category because they see that there's money to be made, and if there's a demand, they're going to they're try to supply it. So that's... Um, what that's all about, really, for um, for non-alcoholic, and it's it's biggest here in the U.S. The the, um, the major companies that are con- or countries that are consuming these wines are number one, the United States; number two, Germany; and number three, Japan. And I wow. think the Japanese. Uh, yeah, it's interesting because when you when you hear about Japanese culture and, and drinking, you often hear about you know, people drinking uh, way too much wine. But I think yeah. there is that growing movement, especially amongst the younger uh, generations. You know the Gen Z's out there that uh, don't want, you know, to drink too much alcohol. So I think that's why you're seeing that, that drive. Uh, oh. So, no, go ahead. I'm sorry, Ron. No, I just, people used to come into the winery when, when I had the winery open, and they said, you have non-alcoholic wines. And I'd say, well, I'll go down to Publix. It's called Welch's, and it's sitting right down the shelf. <laughs> you know? Right. I mean, <laughs> you know? And, yeah. But, the, you know, I, 
which leads me to the point you take the alcohol out of wine, how do you keep all those flavors and stuff in it? I mean, the, the concept is very difficult for me to understand. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah what it's, what it's, do it's, they do to it, get the alcohol out? Well, I'll tell you, there's and the, one of the one of the the problems is it it can be fairly expensive uh, to use the technology to dealcoholize wine. But basically, there's three, uh, especially speaking about no alcohol wine, and when we're talking about that or non-alcoholic wine, we should uh, let people know that the, the, the standard definition is less than 0.5% alcohol. Uh, so, and of course, you know, that's just a tiny fraction, but that's that's the uh, standard here in the United States. But there's three methods. Uh, the, the most uh, commonly used one is called vacuum distillation. And what they do there is in a, in a closed tank, pressurized tank, the wine is heated just to the point that the ethanol, the alcohol in the wine, boils off, uh, and you can take that all the way down to 0.5% or less uh, by volume. And what happens is uh, with a strong vacuum, as the alcohol vapor starts to boil off, and it boils at a lower temperature than water, it is sucked up by the vacuum, and it separates out the alcohol then from the remainder, which, of course, is water and all the different phenolic compounds that give you aroma and flavor and color. So you keep right. that without the alcohol. And basically that's, that's how you're able to maintain, you know, the, the qualities that people like, you know, that wonderful color, the aroma, the flavor, but without the alcohol. So that's the first one. Then the two other methods are a little bit more expensive. One is called reverse osmosis or RO. And this is basically a filtration system. Uh, it's used for, you know, water and all kinds of other uh, you know, products around the world, but this is uh, another method that just sort of separates uh, the alcohol uh, molecules from the rest of the wine uh, by putting it through a very, very dense filtration system, and that's expensive. Uh, a lot of people have to uh, take their wine to a special, you know, place to do this reverse osmosis, uh, and it's, it's expensive because the cartridges are very expensive membrane cartridges that have, have to be replaced on a regular basis. Uh, the third method is called spinning cone, and this is basically also a vacuum. It's uh, and, and sort of an advanced form of vacuum distillation, uh, which you can think about that with these rapidly spinning cones creating centrifugal force. Uh, so this, it's a vacuum, and it creates this little thin film of wine, uh, which is a, a faster put through, and it's also a lower temperatures. We're talking about 35 to 45 uh, degrees Celsius, and just for a very brief period of time, about 25 seconds, and that oh. uh, lowers the alcohol very effectively. So it's kind of high tech, and that's why you don't see lots and lots of brands, and most of the ones that do it, you know, are large uh, producers that can afford the technology. Uh, and that's that's no alcohol wine. So those methods are also used to create low alcohol wine, uh, and I know you want to talk about that as well. Uh, and lower alcohol wines uh, can be defined as, as between eight, seven to nine percent uh, alcohol by volume. And you know, as your listeners know, table wine typically runs between 12 and 15 percent, depending upon the type of wine. Uh, so we're talking about about half of the uh, typical alcoholic volume. And in addition to those three methods, you can also do it by harvesting fruit that's underripe, uh, has less sugar concentration, and therefore less potential alcohol. Uh, so that's one method, and you'll see some of these lower alcohol Sauvignon Blancs from New Zealand on the market, uh, like uh, Brancott has a one called Flight Song, which you may have seen out there, and then there's Kim Crawford's Illuminate. And these methods, uh, these wines uh, typically use early harvest, uh, as well as some of the other technology like spinning cone. So, for example, Kim Crawford uh, will use spinning cone to reduce the alcohol to below 1% on 60% of the volume, and then 40% of the regular alcohol base, you know, at around 13%, and then blending them back together, and you get a final alcohol blend, a volume of about 7%. So that's sort of an ingenious way to lower the alcohol without losing aroma and flavor. You know, one of the reasons people love New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc is for that wonderful aromatic intensity oh, yeah, uh, that, it, that it has. Yeah, and then, of course, you can just blend lower and higher uh, uh, alcohol wine together to, you know, lower the alcohol. So there's, it's a little bit easier to make uh, lower alcohol wines than it is to make no alcohol wine. Uh, but again, one of the, one of the, the rubs, I mean, it's growing, it's a growing category, but uh, some surveys show that consumers are just often a little bit disappointed 
uh, by the taste profile that they get in lower alcohol wines. Uh, because again, when you remove the alcohol, you're removing some body and some texture and not necessarily the alcohol, but it's just, you know, so the same consumers that are going for, you know, de-alkalized wines or no alcohol wines are also the ones that seem to be driving the market uh, for lower alcohol wines, which is still substantial. It's over $1 billion in uh, U.S. dollars uh, around the world, and it's forecast to grow uh, over the next four or five years at about 30%. So it's wow. not going away, and I think you'll continue to see more and more brands entering the marketplace. But it's kind of rough waters right now, and I think there's a lot of competition uh, and, of course, often people expect, well, there's less alcohol, it costs less now, right? Uh, but that's not the case. <laughs> the re- the re- retail is about the same as it is on the regular alcohol uh, wines from Kim Crawford or, you know, Brancott or some of the other brands. Mayomi, a very popular California yeah. brand, has just come out with a, a lower alcohol Pinot Noir. It's about 8%. And an- another factor here, too, that we should really mention is not only are the wines lower in alcohol, but they're also lower in calories. And some some producers are even billing it not as low alcohol, but it's low calorie, uh, which is not deceptive, but it's a little bit in, uh, dis, disingenuous <laughs> because yeah. Uh, yeah. you know they're appealing to people because they're watching their what they're eating and watching their calorie intake, uh, but they don't tell them. Oh, it also, it's also less alcohol too. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's well, a pretty uh, pretty. We've always had these wines that have ranged between, you know, say, 8 and percent. They've been out there for a long time. You can find those, you know, in in different areas and in different wines, uh, whites, and they tend to be a little bit sweeter and stuff. But you've always had all this lower alcohol level there. And, again, and I used to always tell people, a good way to tell the sweetness of the wine is the lower the alcohol, usually the sweeter the higher the alcohol, the drier it's going to be. And I said that's just a very basic way to look at wine to try to find if you want yeah. something a little bit sweeter and all that. But if they're picking them early, then that rules just down the drain. Well, not necessarily, because if you look, for example, at uh, what's take New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, where it's commonly early pick. Uh, because they're trying not only to reduce the alcohol, but also to get that really uh, herbaceous, you know, grapefruit intensity that people love. And you're making a dry wine, so you're you're fermenting it dry, but there's just not enough sugar to get the alcohol up beyond, you know, 10, 11% alcohol. So you're still getting a lower alcohol dry wine. But the ones you're referring to, absolutely, you know, German Riesling is probably the, uh, the most famous example uh, yeah. Wines that range anywhere from seven and a half to ten percent alcohol, but the key here is, as you mentioned, they're sweet. So you, the residual sugar is giving you calories. So they may be lower alcohol, but they're higher in calories. So that sort of, you know, sort of flies in the face of you know the reason that a lot of people are, uh, you know, sort of attracted to these lower alcohol wines is because they do like the lower calorie content too. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's- you could you could also look you could look at Moscato di Asti or um, other sparkling sweet wines from Italy that are only five and a half percent alcohol, but they've got a lot of sugar. Uh, a lot too. of sugar. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's this, and you know, it, do you uh, do you think? And this is just I, I know your opinion, but do you think it's a trend? I mean, you say in a couple of years we're going to look at five billion worldwide, but you know, as anything, it peaks and then it starts coming back down again. You think it's going to happen with this low alcohol and no alcohol trend? Yeah, yeah. And I think there's you'd have to differentiate differentiate between fads and trends. And I think, uh, you know, some fads come and go every day, and, you know, not just in wine but in fashion and all kinds of stupid things that people do. <laughs> uh, but I think... <laughs> But I think trends, you know, are, are, tend to be longer term, and I do think that uh, this is not going away. I think you're going to con- uh, continue to see this, and you know, you'll, you'll recall the fairly recent backlash against super high alcohol wines. You know, it was common yeah. for a while there for Napa Valley producers to be making 15% alcohol wines, but you know, after two glasses, you know, you're intoxicated and People have finally said, look, I, I've had enough. I want to enjoy wine without getting hammered. And right. plus, you know, it's hard to pair food with, with wines that are that intense. So I yeah. think along those same lines, you're going to see some moderation. And why not? I, I think, you know, we have the technology. 
as long as you can, you know, make the wines taste good and approximate what they're used to good enough, people will continue to buy the wine. So, yes, to answer your question, I think it's a trend that's going to continue to grow, and I think it's going to be with us. It'll probably level out, uh, just like White Zinfandel leveled out. But White Zinfandel still, we still sell millions and millions of cases of White Zinfandel a year in the United States. And a lot of people said, oh, that's that's just a fad. It's going to go away. And it (laughs) Here we are, 45 years later, and it's still with us. Good, you know, still powerful, so many, yeah, yeah. It, exactly. So, yeah, I, I'm going, not really going out on a limb. I, I think I can put my money where my mouth is. I, I would bet that this is not a fad. It's a trend, and it's going to be with us for quite some time, just like Prosecco, another one that, you know, 25 years ago we we had one brand of Prosecco. Now we have, I don't even know how many. I mean, it's in, yeah, probably 50, it's, <laughs> and they all sell. all over, so. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. amazing what what's happening with that. Uh, yeah, do you yeah. think? Well, I don't know. I, I go back to the millennials and Gen Xs and Gen Zs and all that, who are really the ones that are driving this. It seems more than anything. And as they get older, you still think they're going to continue buying it? Are they going to transition to a higher alcohol wines who yeah that's a good question I'm that's the same question every marketing organization in the wine business is asking themselves right now because yeah. uh, you know Gen Z has not embraced wine the way previous generations have certainly not the way us baby boomers have no, uh, but no. you know millennial generation too not quite drinking as much so you know, this is that, that scary point in the wine industry where people have to decide, you know, what they think the future is going to, going to hold. And it's hard to say. You know, people change. When I was in my 20s, I didn't drink wine because I couldn't afford it. And I didn't start drinking wine until I started working in the restaurant business. And then I started to appreciate it and then realizing, oh, well, it's worth more money than this awful, you know, beer I've been drinking, <laughs> you know, I, now I see why people are willing to pay more money for wine because you're getting more complexity, more pleasure, you know, more food and wine affinities, you know, all the reasons that people do do that. So I think, yeah, I think as Gen Z matures and they make more money, uh, they might be attracted to, you know, a, a, you know, a higher aspirational lifestyle, if you will. And I think that includes fine wine, uh, I don't think they'll ever drink as much wine as some of the previous generations do. But, yeah, I, I do think that as their palates mature and become more sophisticated, they may incorporate, you know, higher higher quality, you know, higher priced wine into their, you know, weekly repertoire. Although I know young adults now that, that are in their early 30s that never drank alcoholic beverages for the most part at all that wow. still haven't really embraced wine. You know, they're drinking cider. They're drinking Hard seltzer, the bane of the wine industry, oh. uh, and other things. So yeah, it's a scary. That's a scary term, hard seltzer, when we're on a wine <laughs> show. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I just, yeah. I don't understand. But you know, it, it's really hard to say. But I, I think you. It, I always look at my daughter, who is now you know in her late twenties, and she never drank wine at all. But now she's starting to realize that, you know, good wine can really enhance a meal and make even simple meals taste better. You know, by you know the addition of something like a you know, an inexpensive Chianti Classico, which you're going to have for under $20 a bottle, I think, you know, they, once they get it, you know, once they get it, then I think they're going to come back and do it again. And, and that, yeah, that's that's very true, too. I I don't have, I, I don't drink no alcohol wines. I used to have the free way back years and years ago, and I think I can still taste that nasty taste in my mouth. Um <laughs> <laughs> and, and it just turned me off to it completely then. And I just, I don't buy it because if I'm going to go down, I'm not going to spend money on something that leaves, well, that recalls bad memories. I, I, have yeah. you had no alcohol? I've, I've, I, yeah, I've lately? actually tasted quite a few lately because, you know, I work for a very large uh, distributor and many, many, many uh, companies come to us with new ones to try and, some of them I've tasted, and they're actually pretty good. Uh, you know, again, they're never going to replace the, you know, the original. But uh, sparkling, some of the sparkling uh, no-alcohol wines that I've tasted lately, I think are pretty darn good. And one of them is uh, from the, you know, the big Cava House, Frejeanette. 
Uh, everybody knows mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, the black yeah. the black label. Well, they've come out with a new line called Laguero, and they make a rosé and a white sparkling wine hmm. at about the same price as the regular cava, and it's actually good. I mean, it really tastes like uh, you know sparkling wine, like cava. Uh, it you know again on the body, it, it really still lacks a little bit of that you know, texture from alcohol, but I think the, the CO2, the, you know, the carbon dioxide bubbles really make up for that lack of texture in still wine. So I think sparkling wine, no alcohol sparkling wine might have a leg up on still wine because of the addition of the bubbles. The bubbles make up for a lot. Wow. So I've had I that. I thought that was really good. Yeah. yeah well, I'll have to try that. I didn't, uh, like I say, it's just the, the I have continued this prejudice against the no alcohol wines for so long that it's hard for me to imagine. And I'm sure they've improved as everything over the years will oh, improve yeah. as yeah. they work on it. I mean, it's yeah. just natural progression, but uh, that yeah. sounds interesting. Even, even Sut- yeah. And even Sutter home free, which I too remember, you know, the early, uh, <laughs> the early attempts uh, for them to make a, a good tasting product. It wasn't very good, but they've done a pretty good job too. And they also have a sparkling wine available uh and also in cans which is a really popular format single serving cans so Mm -hmm. home free sparkling in a single serving can i think is going to do pretty well and there's their chardonnay looking at the uh, chardonnay it's up about uh, 20 percent over last year on a pretty large base we saw a lot of sort home free so i think there is hope for for the quality of uh de-alcoholized and and then low alcohol wines as we go forward into the future so and and that's the key I think is the quality. Yeah. Uh, oh, absolutely. I, I, you know, I'm I'm one of those boomers that had that back when they first came out with it and you went ooh and you just never touched it since then and uh, <laughs> right first I, impressions, you know. <laughs> first impression has hung with me and you just walk right yeah. past the no alcohol section of the yeah. store and, and went to the other store. You mentioned cans. Can Go on. Yeah. No, I was going to say you and I are probably never going to completely embrace no and low alcohol wines, but I think we can appreciate them for what they are and for the, the target consumer. I think it's a wonderful alternative. And uh, I should also mention too, that recently I've had Stella Rosa. Everybody's probably familiar with Stella Rosa. It's a very popular wine. It's the number one Italian imported wine in the U S in terms of sales. And they also have some interesting, uh, no alcohol wines, too, that are flavored wines. You know, one of their big uh, reasons for success is their, you know, wines that are flavored with other fruit flavors like uh, their Ruby Rosé grapefruits. They've got an orange mm-hmm. Rosado and a few others. And I think the addition of that, uh, you know, fruit essence is makes up for the lack of alcohol, too. But, again, they're sweet, and it's not for everybody. It's not for you, Ron, not for me. Uh, but there's <laughs> a consumer out there that likes this sort of thing, and I think uh, a little bit of sugar covers up, you know, a lot. <laughs> so yeah, it, it does. That and, too. Yeah. And, and that's something I'm finding with the, well, well again, I, uh, the Gen Zs, Gen X, uh, millennials, they tend to go for sweeter wines. And yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> because of that, everybody's saying, well, the boomers are buying a lot of the wine. I think the boomers are buying a lot of the reds and the, the heavier, a uh, little bit higher alcohol, the uh, higher tannins and stuff like that, as opposed to the sweeter ones, which is the being carried by the millennials and younger. Yeah, uh, well, I think that's that's a natural progression. I think as you know, as your palate matures, you'll you tend to go to drier and drier wines. And again, I look at my daughter as a, a you know sort of test market for that because. You know, like most kids here in the U.S., you you know grew up drinking sweet fruit juices and sweet sodas and yep. that sort of thing. And as as you become more sophisticated and realize that wine and food go together, that's when their palates start to dry out a little bit. And I think you'll see that, you know, with a lot of people. Um, so I, I do think, going back to our previous point, that as uh, these generations mature, they will at least try, if not embrace, you know, the the what we consider wine. You know. Right. With, uh, normal levels of alcohol, but uh, anyway. Yeah, I'm I'm always reading uh, trade journals and stuff like that in the wine business, and they're always going on lamenting about the fact that oh no, when the boomers die, where the wine sales are going to drop and all. And I I don't know. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the 
the younger generation is going to continue and, and increase their purchase. But I don't yeah. know. I may be yeah, wrong. We'll see. <clears throat> yeah, and they're going to need help. I mean, I, I think education is the key. A lot of uh, almost everybody in the wine business is thinking, all right, how do we convert these uh, non-wine drinkers into wine drinkers? So that's that's the big thing, I think. You know, making sure that it's available to them, that they can taste wines, you know, doing trade tastings, doing restaurant tastings, you know, education. It's so important to continue to bring new generations into the, you know, the fine wine world, you know. And once they're here, they they appreciate it. Uh, but it just it's going to take a little effort to make sure that we have that continuity uh, going forward into, you know, the next couple of decades. So and, and it is right. Uh, mine too. It's very important. I mean, I, you know, spread around. I love to see young people getting involved with wine and stuff like that. And uh, you know, all my grandkids just say, "Grandpa, tell me about wine." You know, and it's just <laughs> I, I like that question because or that comment because yeah. it gives me an opportunity yeah, me to introduce too. something more than just uh, you know, here's here's some soda pop wine and you know, get away <laughs> right, from that right. stuff. Um, yeah, me too. I've, I've been teaching at uh, Florida International University and working with their oh, students yeah. for 20 years uh, now. Oh, so wow. one of my one of one of the most satisfying things I do is working with young college students that are in the hospitality management programs and introducing them to the you know the wonderful nuances of fine wine. That's one of my big passions these days. Hmm. I um, when I had the winery open, Florida State's winery open, uh, Eckerd College down in uh, St. Pete. St. Peter's, yeah, sure. Yeah, I used to go down there uh, every year and do a presentation on <laughs> on their uh, on their week of uh, you know don't drink and drive and all that. And I'd have me in as a guest. I talked to them about wine, and it would oh geez, uh, you, they'd have to cut it off at sixty students because everybody wanted to sign yeah. up for it. It was just amazing. Yeah, really I popular. Mean, yeah, something oh, yeah, like that. Oh, yeah, it's amazing, yeah. And uh, we yeah, talk about cool. wine. I, yeah, it was. And uh, some students was able, they heard it come in, and I'd see them like three years in a row. And I'd say, were you old enough to drink? And they had to be. They wouldn't mm-hmm. let them in the program unless they were old enough. And it, it just, it was always nice to see them so involved in it and asking questions that were intelligent. And uh, I I love stuff like that. That was really, yeah. really uh, yeah. a lot of fun. I know, me, me too. Yeah, you see the light bulb go off, and you're like, yes, I've got this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. And you really do see the light bulb. <laughs> you really do, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you really do. Uh, uh, I, I mentioned something. You mentioned something earlier, and I want to pursue a little bit more. Wine in cans, that seems to be uh, growing more than anything right now. Yeah, well, we can just call it alternative packaging because it's not just wine in cans, but, you know, bag and box and Tetra Pak and all these mm. alternative, uh, alternatives to glass bottles, even bottles that are made out of other materials, are really popular for several reasons. One, concern for the environment, uh, and the other one, the big one, is portability. You know, you can take a wine in a can you know, to the pool. You can take it to sporting events to the beach. I mean, a lot of places that glass is not allowed, uh, you know, these other um, alternative packages are. And I think that's what's really driving it. And what held it back early on was just low-quality wine. But today you can get very, very good quality wine in all of those alternative packages. So that's a, that's a huge growth category. But I think that's a, that's a topic for another, another episode. <laughs> I hear the message <laughs> calling me for dinner. And if I don't get oh, to the table before, my, while my dinner's still hot, she's going to be mad at me. So she, she <laughs> I think, will be I think we have to call this one for the evening, Ron. So well, I, I, I want to thank you so much for having me on. It's been it's been a pleasure. Oh, it has been a great pleasure for me also. And I'd definitely like to get on and talk about some more stuff, like, you know, alternative packaging and, you know, and whatever happened to Paperboy uh, bottled wine. Are you familiar with those? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it sounds yeah. great. Hey, let's set it up, man. I'd love to come back. Okay, we'll do that. I'll I'll get a hold of uh, get a hold of uh, our Sophie. I think her name Sophia. was Sophia. Sophia. Yeah. Okay, I'll we'll get, get a hold Sophia of Sophia. Shout out, yeah. And uh, we'll uh, <laughs> right, we'll Ron. get you. 
Thank you for joining us, and Eric. Enjoy your dinner, and and we will talk to you uh, sometime soon. Okay, Ron. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. All right. I had so many more questions for Eric. So many more. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Well, Uh. but... uh, that's the reality of it. That's you know, that is. Uh, dinner is important. He's in Southern and, uh, Florida. And, uh, yeah, I didn't realize that. I, I saw the area code and I go, "There's no way that's that's him," because that's I, I didn't recognize the phone number and I didn't know he was in Florida to begin with. But then I'm thinking, okay, Southern, hello, are we well, are we Southern? But, uh, yeah. hmm. He so, is, he worked for Southern yeah. Glaciers. Yeah. And, Southern Glaciers is joined with, uh, like you said, it was is joined with uh, uh, Glaciers, Southern Wine and Southern Wine and Spirits, and Southern Wine and Spirits was Florida, Nevada, and California. Those three states, hmm. and they were big in Florida. They they were they were the big dog. I mean, the big dog in Florida as far as distribution goes. And uh, when I had the winery, there is a three-tier system in Florida. In fact, there's a three-tier system in almost every state. You can be a manufacturer, you can be a distributor, and you can be a retail. You cannot hold all three licenses. We had all three licenses. Florida State's winery had all three licenses. Um, I think it was a glitch more than anything, but we were able to hold all three licenses. Couldn't transfer them. I was trying to give them to somebody else, and we couldn't do it. But most of the places, you can only hold two licenses. So you can either be a manufacturer, a uh, retailer, or a manufacturer and distributor, a distributor and retailer. And uh, most people went for manufacturer and retailer. And then if you wanted stuff distributed anymore or anywhere, you had to go through a distributor, which was Southern Wine and Spirits in Florida. And I didn't like Southern Wine and Spirits in Florida uh, at all because they were so big, they would take your wine or whatever it is, and I say wine because that's wine, they take your wine or whiskey or beer or whatever because they handled everything. They would put it in a store, and they would say, mark it at this price. And then if for some reason it didn't sell after a couple months, or somebody didn't pick it up because it happened, especially with new products, Southern would go in there and say, okay, reduce it by, you know, 15%. And then, then they would, you know, then it would sell, but then they would give the people, the winery, the reduced money for the sales without our authorization or anything. They would just want to sell it. So if mm-hmm. I normally sold a bottle for, say, $15 at the winery, and they got it and were distributing it, and they put it in the store for, uh, say, $17 so that the store can have a couple dollars profit, and I would get, say, $13 from it because then Southern would take a couple of dollars profit. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then if it didn't sell, they would say drop the price. Well, Southern would still get their $2 and the store would still get their $2, but I would then start getting less and less for my bottle of wine or if I sold beer, if I made spirits or anything else. So it would start cutting mm-hmm. into my money and not any not the stores or theirs. And I'm just using these arbitrary numbers. So it could be substantial. And that's one thing I was not real thrilled about using a distributor. If people are familiar with your product, then it will sell. If they're not familiar with your product, it doesn't sell well. And that goes for everything, everything on the you know, you go in the liquor store and most people just gravitate right to their same thing all the time and they don't vary, which if you're listening to this, vary your purchases. There's lots of great wines out there. But so 
but the Southern was was enormous in Florida, Nevada, and California. Uh, uh, Southern wine expensive. Glaciers was in Texas. That was their stronghold there, and they were enormous there. And they're also what he's saying in 19 states now. Uh, all the southern states and, and all that is now Southern Glacier because they went in together. And they're a big, big distributor. I don't know if they're in New York or not up in the East Coast any further. I I don't know. I, I don't even want to guess because I'm not sure if they're out there. But they are one of the, the, the Southern was a big dog when they joined with glaciers they became a big dog uh they are one of the biggest uh distributors in the country and uh because of that they can dictate you know somebody says i want my product distributed and they look at it and they say no we're not going to handle it and so then they have to go to somebody smaller or they say, okay, well, we need, you know, a thousand cases and we're only going to pay you this much per case. And you can take it or leave it if you want to distribute it all over the country. You know, I mean, it's just because they big, they can do stuff like that. And it's good to hear Eric tell me how they're doing other things like education and doing stuff like that because to me that's more important and and a very important step in the distribution aspect around the country because the way the laws are in this country and anytime you try to change the laws in this country so that you don't have to go through a, a middleman you don't have to go through that distributor because of places like Southern Glacier and there's like four others around the country that are almost as big or just as big because of those they are so strong in their lobbies and stuff that we can't get anything changed on the federal level so now so i'm done with my soapbox on that it was a good visit with eric though so. it shows um they have a they have a north american footprint on their website and it says uh, territory spanning territory spanning 45 US markets plus Canada and um that they have a local team they've got um 42 plus distribution centers 7000 brands uh looks like 6.4 million customer deliveries uh, customer deliveries annually and they list all the you know states and the contacts and everything like that so um 45 out of, what are we at, 52 states, 50 states? Only, only <laughs> 50, <we're> yes. <laughs> only 50. Some, some, another one. But, we didn't pick up anybody yet. Some. We might. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they list uh, even Alabama and, and God, there, there's, what was that one that was having trouble distributing, distributing Al- wines? Yeah, Alabama. And Alabama, yeah. Yeah. yeah they, have a, they have an office in Ridgeland. Alabama, they have an office there, so yeah, it lists all the states and everything. So it's kinda, amazing, though. Good. It, it, you know, they're they're enormous. It just it's almost mind-boggling how large uh, that they are as distributors. They, they really are some, uh, and, and they're one yeah. of I think four or five. Uh, let me let me Google spirit distributors. Utah is another one. They're in. They have a main an office in Sandy, Utah, and I thought Utah was pretty strict too at, at some point. But, <laughs> they uh, are. Yeah, there's yeah. yeah quite a few. They're only five states short of everybody. So, Alaska, they got all kinds of Anchorage. Um, so, yeah, they do have a. Uh, this picture is uh, huge. Wow, that's it. Um, here you go. Yeah, I just I just clicked in spirit distributors in the U.S. and it says here uh, <laughs> U.S. spirit distributors looking for distribution. Uh, no, it says six alcohol distribution companies you should know about. Number one here is Southern Glaciers Wine and Spirits. Number two, Republic National Distributing Company. 
three breakthrough beverage group, four empire merchants, five Johnson brothers, and six allied beverage group. And I'm sure every one of those are enormous. Um, then they have another list here. Uh, boy, every one of these lists, though, shows Southern Glacier as the biggest. Uh, this one shows Southern do Glacier. Do the same thing as Constellation, right? Isn't that similar to what they do? Or a Constellation brand is the Constellation is uh, a wine conglomerate. They okay. just they just do wines, and they have their whole area of wines and all that. I I want to hmm. say that Constellation might distribute themselves, but maybe they don't. They might go through. Uh, they might. Oh, don't take it yet. Let me. I haven't said anything <laughs> about it. Uh, my engineer just brought in a bottle of wine while I was talking to Eric, and uh, uh, I was sipping it. I'm, I'm going to tell about it. Uh, Payoff is the name of it. It's Alexander Valley Red Blend. It's from 2019 Vintage, and it says. Uh, Winemaking is a dedication and craft and skill. The variables of the growing season can be incredibly challenging, but the payoff, there you go, of making a great wine is an unrivaled art. Enjoy the fruits of our labor in these elegant, fruit-forward, and vibrant wines from Sonoma County. Uh, hmm. 14.8% alcohol. Wow. We were just talking about no and low alcohol, and this one jumps up to 14.8%. Uh, it is, it's a red blend. Uh, it doesn't say the percentage. I hate it when they don't give you percentage on the back of those. And they don't have a phone number here either, or else I would call them right now. Um, but it is nice purplish color uh, lose you into legs legs are pretty decent rather slow uh, getting berry aromas surprisingly I'm getting a little bit of black licorice which I hardly ever pick up but this really does give it on this Oh, <coughs> the alcohol got to me right away on that sip. Uh, almost too much alcohol. It seems to overpower some of the flavors on there. But it's got some good uh, fruitiness to it. And high alcohol, though, boy, you know, when it's this high, referred to it as being hot. This really is the high alcohol. You can taste alcohol, which makes the wine tend to be, I don't know, I, I'm not a big fan of this. Like Eric just talked about, they, California went to this high alcohol phase a few years back. Oh, it's been quite a few years back now, 20. And when they did that, they were making red wines that were been to the 17, 18, you know, I even saw a couple at 19%. And people went, whoa, wait a minute. All you, all you can do is just burn your throat on these. these. If we want a whiskey, we'll drink whiskey. We don't want our wines to be that way. We want to taste the fruitiness. We want to taste all that other stuff. And so they backed off, and they came back down to, you know, lower alcohol. Another thing on alcohol, too, once it hits 17%, the government taxes you at a higher level and so you'll see wines that are below 17 percent uh, simply because once they hit that 17 percent mark it becomes well like ports and sherries and all that those are higher and they are taxed at a higher level so but it's good but hot is that high alcohol you know high 
Yeah, it, yeah, I can understand what you're saying because that high alcohol gives that little burning sensation in your throat. You know. <coughs> so, but payoff yeah, is the name of it. Um, out of Sonoma County, it, it's a good wine. It, you know, I was talking about the alcohol, but it's, it's very good. It's got some nice, you know, berry flavors to it, and the aftertaste is pretty good. A lot of tannins in it too, and I like the tannins. Tannins. I'm a I'm a tannin fan, and there's tannins in this also. So, it, except for the higher alcohol, it checks all of my boxes. Um, so, before she came in, taking it, it says, uh, this particular article I just discovered is top 14 wine distributors in the United States. This is USA Wine Ratings by Beverage Trade Network. Uh, Uh, but this is a pretty good site. Well, I've never discovered this before. It has wine reviews, insights, news, wine and food, travel interviews, videos, podcasts, grapes, producer profiles. Let me click on save this as a bookmark. Uh, okay. But the first one here, Southern Glaciers Wine and Spirits are America's largest wine and spirits distributor. It was founded in 1968 in Florida. It then expanded from Florida to California in 1969. It provides services to 36 states and 1,178 wineries, as per Wines and Vines and Analytics. As per Forbes magazine, the firm generated $16.5 billion in sales in 2016. It sold 150 million cases of spirits and wines in 2016. So that's obviously the last date. So uh, probably higher on in 20 and 21. Headquartered in Miami, it serves 36 states, has 126 offices. U.S. wineries represented 1,178. Chairman is Harvey Chaplin. Vice Chair is Bennett Glazier, CEO Wayne Chaplin, and the president is Sheldon Stein. So there's the rundown of Southern Glazier's Wine and Spirits. They're the biggest one uh, by far in the United States. Republic National Distributing is next. Breakthrough Beverage Group in Young, Young's Market Company out of Tustin, California. Uh, there you go. Breakthrough is in New York, New York, and the uh, Republic is out of Grand Prairie, Texas. I've heard of Republic. I think Republic is in, in Florida also. Uh, so is Breakthrough. I've seen them. Johnson Brothers Liquor, Heidelberg Distributing, Wine Warehouse. There's another one located in Los Angeles. They only cover California. But they do quite a bit of business, though, uh, just in California. Cover 104 domestic wineries and rank seventh as a wine distributor. So, wow, one state. Uh, Martignetti is next. Empire Merchants is located in Brooklyn. They serve three states right up there in that area. Winebow Group out of Virginia. Frederick Waldman out of New York. There's another one. Allied Beverage, New Jersey. Moon Distributors in Little Rock, Arkansas. And that's top 14 there. So, uh, a lot of distributors, a lot of different distributors. And Eric works for the biggest one in the country. Uh, impressive, I have to say. Um Southern Glacier, Southern. I used to always just call them Southern. Now they go by Southern Glacier. I went. To, I don't know when they merged. I think you said they merged in '16 or something like that. So, 2016. Yeah. 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 2016. Uh, was one other thing I was going to mention tonight, and I forgot what it was. And I guess it wasn't important. No, I guess not, because I can't see it laying here, because I always leave myself notes if I'm going to talk about something. and I have no notes. So, okay, well, 
I guess we are finished for the night. Well. Just, okay. So, that's a good guess. I will get him on again. I will talk to Sophia. Yeah. And she was our contact. And I will get him on again because I want to talk to him about canned wines and box wines and Paperboy, and it sounds like he... Remember we talked about Paperboy, what was it, a couple of years ago, I think now, uh, mm-hmm. about the bottle that was going to be a paper, uh, wrapped in paper, made in paper, not just wrapped, but actually made in paper. And we mm-hmm. talked about that, and and then it just disappeared. We never heard anything more about it. So it uh, sounds like he knew about Paperboy. So definitely have to get him on again. It was interesting mm-hmm. uh, yeah. talking with him. The boy, I'll tell you what, though, you've got to give him a, uh, a more than a uh, just, I a, well, <laughs> for his knowledge and for his passing those two tests. Oh, my gosh, what? The Master of Wine and the Master of Sony, only three people in the world hold both of those titles. And yeah. he's one. That is just amazing. Mm. So. Yep. Make accomplishment. A lot yes. of work. <clears throat> yes. Um, okay. Speaking of I a lot of work and a major yes. accomplishment, we always have to give a shout out to Mike's show. Oh. Gotcha. <laughs> Our org. Uh, Flightline Radio. Yeah, Flightlineradio.com. Yeah. Okay, I knew I was forgetting something. <laughs> Flightlineradio.com. He is live, well, still Friday nights from 7 to 9. He's yeah. thinking about changing that, but when he does, I'm sure he'll let us know. Uh, but the, the Flightline Radio is on all the time, playing all sorts yeah. of music and you know, just all everywhere on what they're playing. It's not just one type or one style or anything. You can listen to it, and all of a sudden the song will pop on. You go, "Oh, I know that!" And you'll sing along with it and stuff. So, um, you know, tune into him live. Or, or you can make, what's that? I said, or turn it off completely. It's just, nah, I don't really <laughs> like that. <laughs> Yeah, I just turn it down and listen for the next one. Uh, he will be yeah. on live though tomorrow from seven to nine, yeah. and he takes requests and he chats with you and he does, uh, you know, private messaging chat, and he'll take your request. And he also has his own thoughts about lots of stuff that he'll bring up and uh, keep you entertained. For the two hours, so definitely tune in and listen. You can always put it in on the background. What I've been doing is Friday evenings, set down, putting it in on the background, and and doing stuff on the computer and just listening to him. And uh, it's always interesting. So, flightlineradio.com. Thank you. Yep. Tune in. Don't have to Anytime. register or anything. Just tune it in. Um, and we run ads for the wine show, of course. We we do that. Uh, I think they're on every every hour uh, on automation. Um, That's cool. Yeah, it's usually runs every fifteen twenty minutes or so. There's different ads, but I think there's only two running uh, right now. So you hear oh. three songs a night, and then then the then the uh, promos. So uh, well, uh, thank you. Uh, we'll. Uh, what time is it? I don't even know what time. I don't know what monitor uh, eight, to look at. 8.04. 8.04? Yeah, 8.04. Yep. Unless you're on the other monitor, and it's 8.03. So, yeah, uh, there you go. Thank you all. You. <laughs> you know, thank on you my phone, I for... think that says 8.05 now. Yeah, I just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll be back uh, on uh, next Thursday, the 25th of uh, May. That's the last show of May. Wow, it's going by fast. Wow. Um, at 7 p.m. Eastern time, yeah, and wow. uh, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll, um, we'll be back then. So uh, thank you all again for tuning in. Have a great week and a weekend ahead, and um, um, take care. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening, and uh, be safe. Yeah, thank you. Be safe.
This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine, All about wine. with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on the show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinedpr.com. Archive shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. Always miss that second All About Wine on the closing. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, I don't know why, but it just sneaks up on me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're off there. Okay, let me go into uh, the little green people room. Yep. Turn it. Green people room. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Oh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.